is Philip Ashcroft. Ah, okay. Um, let's start at the beginning, which seems a sensible place to start. I, yeah, from my accent, uh, you can probably tell that I wasn't born in this country. I was born in the UK. Um, uh, very close to a place called Shrewsbury, which, of which we have one here mm -hmm. in Massachusetts, I know. Uh, so that can be confusing sometimes when there are two Shrewsburys. Um, that's uh, on the border between Wales and England, an area in the UK known as the Welsh Marches, where the Welsh and the English fought each other for centuries. Um, none, none of that in recent times, of course. Um, um, moved around a lot in the UK. Um, first went to uh, school in, in Birmingham, uh, then uh, in other parts of the Midlands of England. Uh, went to university in the northeast of England, the University of Durham. Uh, where I majored in uh, geology. Um, long story cut short, um, my first job was with a cement company, um, <clears throat> and um, I ended up in, in the water business. Um, moved around again with the cement company in the UK. They sent me to the US for a while, went back to the UK, um, eventually came back to the US in 2002, and when my contract came to an end, I stayed here. Yeah. So I know you, you always, I think you joked about you were, you're a British guy married to a German wife who works for a French water company. I think that's one time what you described yourself. Uh, li living in Texas. Living in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So before you got, I know we're going to talk a lot about coaching, but talk about some of the stuff you did prior to coaching because you had a really extensive, <coughs> unique career. Uh, okay. Um, my first job, as I mentioned, was with a cement company and I was sent uh, to a factory in the middle of England. And the general manager there said to me, um, uh, when I went to his office, he said, um, you're going to hate me for this right now, but you're going to thank me later. He said, you are going to start at the bottom of the pyramid. You're going to be an ordinary laborer on this uh, cement plant. You'll clock in with the, uh, the guys, the blue collar guys. You will, uh, you will um, use the same mess room as those guys. You will wear the same uniform as those guys. You'll know what it's like <coughs> to be the lowest form of life on a cement factory. And I learned a lot. Um, my first job was actually uh, loading cement bags onto the back of a, a flatbed truck, um, which sounds pretty straightforward. And it is, except when the, 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 the bags, 112-pound bags, are coming down the conveyor belt at the rate of 120 tons an hour. You have to get it right, otherwise the uh, truck drivers complain. I then did many other things on the factory, um, worked in the quarry. They allowed me to, to blow up half a hillside one day for the limestone that was used on the factory and uh, drove a, a, an excavator, learned to drive an excavator. Um, I wasn't there that long, actually. They then sent me to a plant that was being built south of London um, at a place called Northfleet. It was destined to be the biggest cement plant in the world, so I worked there. Um, for some time uh, on commissioning of the plant, getting it ready for operations. I spent some time as a shift controller uh, in a big control room, you know, flashing lights everywhere. I had 14 telephones at that time um, as a shift manager. Um, at one time, the company, uh, we, well, the country was in recession, and so sales of cement went down dramatically. And there was a search for a market outside the UK, and they found one in Nigeria. The only problem was that uh, the plant uh, that I was working at could ship cement in bulk. 
but they couldn't do it in bag. But the only way the Nigerians would accept it would be in cement bags. And we had no dockside cranes, uh, we had no stevedores. So they said, hey, Ashcroft, <laughs> go and work out how to do this. And I did, strangely enough. We used um, car seat webbing to design self-tightening slings that could lift the cement seven bags at a time using a road mobile crane uh, into the hold of the ship. Um, then as we filled up the ship, we actually brought in aluminium trackway that they'd originally used in the Second World War to build <laughs> aircraft uh, landing strips in the desert. So we put that on top of the cargo, then we ran fork trucks on top of that. It was quite innovative, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> after a, a short time of that, I was sent to a much smaller plant in another part of the country as the deputy general manager and started to uh, really uh, develop my management career. Um, I was there only about 18 months. Oh, this particular plant had a lot of union problems. Okay. And what, part of my job was to negotiate, deal with the highly, it was totally unionized environment. Okay. I must have had a modicum of success because I'd only been there about 18 months and I got a phone call uh, that saying, um, would you like to come and join the industrial relations department? Which actually doesn't mean, would you like to, it means we want you to. Yeah, we like you. So um, <clears throat> I was dealing with, uh, seven, I think it was, national unions across 24 plants and, again, learnt an awful lot about negotiation, did a lot of training as well um, uh, with the shop stewards and the managers. Um, I was then sent to a, another cement plant that was in trouble in Scotland. Essentially, that cement plant was under threat of closure. Um, this was way back before the uh, Iron Curtain collapsed and uh, the Poles were dumping cement in Scotland, um, literally, at whatever price they could get just for hard currency. You couldn't compete against that, mm. although we had to. Uh, long story short, we invested many, many millions in that plant to rebuild it, to make it more efficient, but part of the justification or, or the economics of that particular investment was that we had to dramatically improve manpower um, efficiency. <coughs> the, uh, the best plants in Japan were producing, we used a metric called annual tons per man, okay. how many tons of cement you produced per employee. And the Japanese were at something like 2,000 annual tons per man. The Germans were at about uh, 1,200 annual tons per man, and this plant was about 200 annual tons per man. It really was not efficient. And then I came back to dealing with the unions. We totally um, renegotiated with a sister company, uh, renegotiated the terms and conditions of employment. We broke down the barriers between the crafts. Um, we had a, a totally different ethos and culture. And in fact, did succeed in reducing the, the workforce. I would add that uh, no one left that plant without a job. We made sure that with other industries in Scotland at that time, whether it's the trawler fleets or the power stations or the industries in Edinburgh, uh, everyone had the opportunity of uh, continuing their career somewhere else. That was uh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> I was then asked to go and do something similar across the whole of the UK, um, reduce the company uh, workforce by about 25 percent and, um, and then it came time for me to leave the country. Part of that 
company philosophy was that you had to spend some time working in one of the overseas operations. It was a multinational. And many of my compatriots were sent to Nigeria, where we had three cement factories. And Nigeria wasn't a particularly attractive place, um, to put it mildly. Uh, but I was fortunate. Uh, they uh, sent me to a sister company in the US. Uh, in fact, um, a division of what was then called Williams Brothers, a cement, uh, sorry, a concrete and aggregate company. Cement and concrete are associated, but they're totally different businesses. Um, and I knew nothing about uh, 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 concrete uh, or aggregates, but uh, I had this operation across western Georgia, eastern Alabama. Um, I learned pretty quickly, turned it from loss to profit, and was doing quite well. Um, went home, um, back. My, my family was still in the UK, went back uh, for Christmas and went to see the CEO just to sort of pay my respects. You know, I'm, I'm here, <laughs> just come back from the US. And he, uh, he said to me, oh, he said, Ashcroft, what do you know about woodworking and plumbing? And I said, well, quite frankly, I'm not very good at either. I avoid it. He said, uh, no, I'm talking about a business. Uh, there's a business in uh, another part of the UK, northern UK, northern England, that um, he just fired the CEO. It was in trouble. It was designed to order, make to order, washroom system. Uh, manufacturer and, and, and uh, marketer that had quite a sizable um, slice of the UK market but wasn't very efficient so they sent me up there and uh, was quite successful introduced uh, for the first time in, in Blue Circle the concept of computer integrated manufacturing learned a lot and got a, a phone call from a water company <coughs> that had just, the whole industry in England had just was privatized by Margaret Thatcher. That in itself is a, a long story, so let's <laughs> skip over that. But they were looking to bring in fresh blood, as it were, in, in the management ranks. Um, in the end, I turned them down. And uh, about a year after that, um, I got another phone call, and they said, OK, Philip, let's go back to your deal. Uh, what do you want? So uh, the guy that they'd appointed instead of me the previous year He'd resigned. It was all too much. It was, it was, the organization was going through traumatic, dramatic and traumatic change, going from the public sector to right. the private sector. And a lot of it was about changing the culture. Uh, it was all about the people. Um, and I joined them, stayed there for a few more years, then got another phone call from, this time, a French company. Uh, uh, it was called General Des Eaux. It's now called Veolia. And... Um, they, they wanted me to go and run operations for uh, a water company in north and west London serving about three million people. Um, <clears throat> I took that and uh, it was under threat from, it was very tough economic regulation. So it was all about driving up efficiency, driving up quality and driving down costs. Um, so we introduced a lot of change. And um, I was asked to do a presentation of some of the things we'd done and achieved uh, the company was called Three Valleys. Uh, what we'd achieved at Three Valleys to um, uh, visiting a group of senior managers and directors from the uh, US uh, water business owned by Veolia. Um, that was called uh, US Filter. Um, I made the presentation, talked about it. Uh, long story short, I then got an invitation to come to the US. This was in 2002 to work on uh, the bid 
we were bidding to outsource all the operations of the city of Indianapolis for water, not wastewater, but for water. We were successful in that. Um, I stayed on. I uh, then led the bid team for what would have been a bigger contract in New Orleans. Um, that is a long story in itself. But let me say, we won the bid twice, um, and it disappeared in the uh, Louisiana Senate in Baton Rouge. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of very interesting. I'll tell you about that over a beer sometime. Right. Um, after after uh, working at New, in New Orleans, uh, I was asked to come up here to the Northeast to work with the president. The company was divided into four regional mm -hmm. um, subsidiaries, and the Northeast was one of those. The president was having problems. Um, long story short, he, he had to leave the organization. Uh, I took over, um, turned it around, was just sort of settling in here, uh, moved into Marshfield, bought a house, everything was rosy. Then I got another phone call that said, um, your equivalent in the West, based in California, uh, has just resigned. Um, a number of problems that he can't deal with, so he opted to resign. Um, Philip, we'd like to, you to uh, go and sort that out. And remember, I'm an expatriate, yes. uh, an expat, um, which is a bit like being in the military. You know, if, mm -hmm. if they, they say you've got to go to wherever, you you've go. got to go. Um, so within 48 hours, I landed in California and started working on that. The biggest um, problem was a, a lawsuit um, uh, on behalf of one of the biggest clients, the city of Richmond, um, for I think it was 24 million. So I was straight into negotiating that, managed to settle it for four million, which I was rather proud of that, and move on, kept the client, um, and everyone came out of it uh, uh, with an acceptable resolution. Um, enjoyed my time in California. It was a great place to live, not far from um, the wine country of Northern California, skiing up in the Sierra Nevada. Uh, the problem was the company then restructured and went from having four regional subsidiaries to going totally functional. Uh, the net result was that uh, I ended up running the municipal outsourcing across across the U.S. and Canada. About 3,000 people, about 500 million in revenue, uh, and a lot of uh, air flights. Yeah. Um, and um, that went on for some time until uh, the company... Uh, this was during the Great Recession, 2008, yeah. 9, 10, uh, got into trouble. Uh, they pulled all the expatriates back to Europe, mostly they'd go from France, but mm -hmm. I was obviously from the UK. Now I was headed back to the UK till I discovered that they were going to, as part of this restructuring, they were going to sell the company to which I was returning, a company called Three Valleys. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd been in the US then for 10 years. Uh, I thought, whoa, I'm going back to something it's very... Uh, yeah. Unsure, so I, I opted to stay in the U.S. Uh, I had uh, more people I knew in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'd never sold my house in Marshfield, so we were able to move back to Marshfield, and there we remain very happy uh, until today. So what made you get into coaching from that? Ah, that's interesting. <laughs> After I left the corporate world, I did a number of things. I, first of all, uh, I worked for a UK private equity company who were focused on water, um, oil and gas, and mining. Uh, and I was uh, w working with them to find uh, companies in the water sector in which they could uh, invest. Um, 
The trouble was they ended up making so much money in oil and gas, they dropped mining and water, so I then moved on. I spent a couple of years part-time as um, the chairman of a not-for-profit called the Northeast Water Innovation Network, working with startups uh, who were developing innovative technology for the mm -hmm. water sector. Um, <clears throat> that was basically had income from its members, but also from the state, and at one time the EPA. Pol politics drive everything. Yes. Um, there was a change of governorship in Massachusetts. Um, the EPA uh, cut their budgets during the Trump era. A lot of that funding went away. So we, in fact, merged it with another organization, and it's still running today. Uh, but I'm no longer the chairman. Um, <clears throat> I, um, while I was doing this, one evening, met up with a guy called Bernie Heiner and his wife. They came over to our house for dinner. We were chatting. And Bernie uh, suggested that you know, uh, I might want to join him in his coaching business, which I did, and I'm still working there. And that, that kind of brings us up to date, I think. So you knew Bernie a little bit prior to? or Yes. Um, uh, both our wives are German, uh, uh, and through yeah, that association, uh, we became sort of friends socially, yes. So for those who don't know, what is professional business coaches? Professional business coaches, well, basically it's a relatively small um, a coaching company based here on the South Shore. Um, we tend to focus on the South Shore because that's where we live, but we'll travel uh, throughout New England um, and uh, have in the past done some work internationally. And we focus on business coaching and executive coaching. Um, business coaching is basically working with business owners um, to help them move their business forward. Uh, with executive coaching, it's much more about working with the individual CEO. Uh, there's the old adage, it's lonely at the top, and sometimes a CEO has someone who wants someone who's, if you like, neutral, um, has an outside perspective, can, um, in fact, be a sounding board for that CEO. We do training, we do some strategy work as well. Um, but perhaps... It's worth saying, not just talking about what is coaching, but about what coaching is not. If you like, there's a spectrum. On the one side, it's consultancy. On the other side, it's psychology. In the middle is coaching. Well, we're not about competing with the major consulting firms. Um, Neither Bernie nor I certainly are psychologists, so we avoid those ends of that spectrum and focus on the middle where it's about uh, asking the right questions rather than giving the right answers. That, as often it's, it's, it's the business owner who knows the right answers. Our job is to tease out those answers, and if the owner comes up with the answer, it's his answer. It's not imposed from outside. Often with consulting, when the consultant goes away, what's left um, is it can be a bit of a vacuum. And on, uh, on psychology, yes, there's a lot in coaching about human behavior and understanding people, but psychology is beyond that. It's dangerous to go there, so we don't. Is there one thing you do more than others as a business coach? I don't think so. Um, every... Um, Every client is different. There are some consistencies in terms of approaches we take and tools that we use. Um, but with business owners, um, 
I, I often describe that as what we do is help them get unstuck. Um, we, you know, we've heard the stories many times that this business used to be fun when I started it 10 years ago. Uh, now it's not so much. I'm working 80 hours a week and the fun's gone out of it. Well, they've got stuck. And it's our job as a coach to work with that business owner to find out um, where they're stuck and look at the alternatives and then find the preferred alternative to get them unstuck to move forward. It could be a marketing issue, it could be a sales issue, it could be a people issue. Um, and so there are many facets to that. And with the executive coaching, I've already talked about what we do is act as a sounding board. We've also done quite a lot of work with um, more junior executives moving uh, from a technical role to a managerial role. And of course, the skill sets are totally different. And it amazes me today why companies still make the assumption that a, a really good engineer is going to make a good general manager because not the same thing. So we work with, uh, have worked with uh, a number of organizations where we work with individual managers making that transition from technical to uh, general management. Now, I've done some work with you and Bernie in the past, and you guys have a lot of tools that in your, in your toolbox that you use. So what are some of those tools that you have? Okay. Um, initially, I did my training for a coach uh, with a, an organization called the Professional Business Coach um, um, Association. Sorry, Alliance. And that's a collection of 100 or so coaches across North America. And we share tools and approaches with them. So there's a lot of proprietary stuff from the PBCA that we use. Um, one that comes quickly to mind is the BEE, the Business uh, Effectiveness Evaluation, where right at the beginning of a coaching uh, assignment, we will work our way through that with the business owner and identify uh, where, uh, by elements of the business, marketing, sales, operations, what's going well, what's not quite so going well. And from that, we'll identify what has to be done to improve the business, to get it to be unstuck. We can actually um, develop tools and share them amongst other coaches in the same professional group. Uh, beyond that, um, one thing we use a lot is DISC, D-I-S-C, which is about management style. It's very it's a bit complicated to explain in a conversation like this, but essentially it's about understanding management behavior. Is this individual extroverted or introverted? Are they task-focused or are they people-focused? And from that, you can discern what their management style is. Um, and one of the key issues with, with any coaching assignment is for the coachee to understand themselves, and that's what DISC is about. But it's it's much more than understanding your own behavior. It's understanding the impact you can have on other people. Um, the, uh, the golden rule, apparently, uh, is that uh, one should treat others as you want to be treated, uh, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's actually wrong um, because maybe you know, there's a way I like to be treated, but that doesn't apply to you, Jonathan. So maybe that might be demotivating for you. The issue is to understand what motivates what people, what people's individual styles are and how they want to be treated, and then to be able to read people sufficiently to treat them as they want to be treated, not as you want to be treated. 
Um, and that's probably enough on disk for now because uh, I'm going to show you it's very effective. Yeah. And every client that I've worked with uh, on disk have found it very, very helpful in understanding relationships within the organization and how to be more effective. Um, another one we use uh, is um, PXT. That's about um, recruitment, about interviewing, about picking the right people. And um, I've interviewed a lot of people in my time, and I've employed a lot of people. But I know I can make mistakes. You can be fooled during an interview. PXT puts in another. Uh, it's, it's about managing risk, really. Um, it won't tell you who to hire, but it'll tell you who not to hire. You put in uh, all the details of the job and the required um, um, competences of the individual, and then you give them a questionnaire, and you come out with they, they're, they're required to be good in this sector, and this is how good they are. Um, are they good enough, or are they not good enough? And that's very use useful indeed. Um, Strength Finder is a, is a third one we use, and this is about, um, again, through uh, a questionnaire, identifying individual strengths. And the important thing then is to focus on those strengths and play to those strengths. So often people focus on what are their weaknesses, and that's a mistake. With an organization, if you know you're very good at something, if you're very good at sales, then stick to sales. And if you need to bring in someone else to run operations, that makes sense. But don't try and do everything yourself. And it's about delegation as well. Um, there are other, many other tools, um, but they're pretty standard across the industry, really. So when you're coaching or working with someone, is there a standard time period you're generally working with them with? And the short answer is no. There's no okay. uh, standard. Um, first of all, the, the, the objective of a coach is to work with the individual to get them to improve their business and to move on. So in many ways, our objective is to do ourselves out of a job because um, that's where we add most value. Um, I say probably six months is the minimum we've worked with. By the time you've done, gone through the business effectiveness evaluation, uh, you've done some disk work. It's going to take that long time, that length of time, to be effective. Um, sometimes it goes, well, most often it goes longer than that. Uh, and I've had some clients I've worked with for you know a couple of years. Um, and sometimes as their business grows, there might be a merger, there might be a sale. So there's a new set of uh, difficulties, uh, problems come along, and that extends the coaching period. But what we should be doing is making sure that uh, the coachee can move on and grow in their own right. Is there one common thing that you run into with business you work with? Like the one com is there a common issue? When you're yeah, a, a phrase I often use is it's always about the people. Um, at the end of the day, it's people who run organizations. It's uh, human interaction. Um, it's about relationships. And uh, it's about good communication. So people are the heart of a business and yes you have to get the technical things right uh, but, but uh, getting the people elements right is uh, far more important it's about uh, EQ not IQ uh, emotional intelligence as opposed to intellectual intelligence in fact um, there was some work done um, relatively recently about um, what makes the CEOs of 
the uh, 100 top companies in the US are successful. And they started to test that, uh, what that could be. And um, it wasn't IQ. Uh, all these guys were intelligent, but some were significantly more intelligent than others. There was no pattern. And what they discovered in, 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 uh, after a lot of delving was that it was EQ, emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, that is the linking factor. All of those people were good at managing, motivating, developing people. So is there something easy that every business can do to improve? Is there like one easy thing? <clears throat> well, I'm not sure it's easy, but one thing that I think is common to all businesses is communication. Um, communication, of course, is a two-way street. And... Um, we tend to talk more than we listen. And I would argue that listening is the most undervalued managerial or executive skill. So encouraging people to listen more, um, to communicate effectively, to communicate often. Um, and a, a, an employee of mine, a, a subordinate of mine once looked at me and said, Philip, um, just because it's bloody obvious to you, excuse me, just because it's obvious to you, don't assume it's obvious to everyone else. So getting your message across, repeating that. Um, tell people what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. Then start all over. And regular communication with employees is so important. And the integrity that needs to go with that in terms of telling the truth, you know, the, the good news as well as the bad news. Um, don't keep that away. Tell people as it is. They will respond. Is there a particular area of coaching that you enjoy more than others? Oh, it's, it's, it's not the training, although I enjoy that as well. It's not necessarily the, um, the strategic workshops that we run. It's about working with individuals, uh, watching them develop and grow. And sometimes I tend to get a little bit too much involved and move a little bit towards the consulting side of it. Um, I think it's fair to say that I've done a lot of things in my management executive career. I've seen a lot of things. I've learned a lot of things. So sometimes I think I know the answers, and it's a great temptation to say, hey, I know the answer to that question. But that's not the way I should be doing it. But working with people to get the questions right, the answers are generally much easier once you've got the right question. So working with individuals and working through those questions and getting the right questions gives me a lot of job satisfaction. Talk about some of the programs you offer. You just kind of mentioned a few things. I know it's not just coaching. I know you guys do classes and courses and stuff like that, and different trainings. Yeah, we, we do training. I mentioned just now that uh, we run, well, in fact, we worked with, with you here at MCTV in terms of uh, working with your board to um, look forward into the future, right. uh, to vision what the future could look like, and from that, develop a strategy of how we're going to get from where we are today to where we mm -hmm. are in the future. That's pretty common stuff we do. Um, we do some training, um, but it's generally the one-to-one -one coaching or, or sometimes group coaching. This, for example, we'll sometimes do in a larger group. Um, but it, it is generally training and evaluation and using the tools effectively. Why should someone work with a business coach or a company should work with a coach? Hmm. <clears throat> Let's go back to this issue of uh, people getting stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and once people realize that 
they have got a problem, and sometimes people don't. Uh, if they're prepared to reach out, um, there are people who can help. Um, yes, you might want help in the accounting field, in which case that's perhaps something that we in uh, professional business coaches can't do because we're not accountants, mm -hmm. although we can read a balance sheet and we can work with the team to understand their finances. Um, <clears throat> but realizing that you need help and reaching out is the difference. And once people do that, uh, they can actually get unstuck. They can move forward. Uh, they can take a different perspective. And both Bernie and I can bring our experience to bear to help them to do that. What separates you from other coaches out there? What separates us from other coaches? What separates you, particularly? Well, I think one of the, the issues is that uh, there are some coaches that have never run a business um, and are uh, much more focused on maybe the, or, or leaning towards the psychology or the, or the consulting side. But uh, I think if you look at uh, both Bernie and I, we've had international experience, we've run different companies in different industries, uh, in different locations. And so I think that breadth of experience having been there, done it, and got the T-shirt uh, is, is actually quite helpful. And um, uh, whereas we're not totally unique, I think that probably does separate us from many of the other coaches out there. The other point worth mentioning is that uh, the Professional Business Coaches uh, Alliance, we work with other coaches in the alliance across the UK. We exchange ideas. So you get the collective experience and not just... Uh, uh, coaches locally here in Massachusetts, but other coaches right across the U.S. can bounce ideas off of. Each yeah, other. That's and and it, 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 we will we have a you know uh, 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 so send an email. Has anyone come across this problem before? So um, we're able to do that and reach out to others and leverage all that other experience that are out there, not just that comes uh, from PBC awesome. here in Massachusetts. Is there a go-to client success story? <laughs> um, the one I'd like to talk about briefly is um, one of my early clients. Um, he was running a landscaping business, and it wasn't doing very well at all. Um, I went through you know, the classic approach, the BEE, and we started to develop some, uh, <coughs> some solutions to the problems. We worked on communication. We worked on health and safety and making sure that uh, there was a reduced number of accidents, for example. We had, it dramatically improved uh, on the sales side as well. However, my client, after it must be maybe nine months, a year in, realized that actually that's not the business he wanted to be in. So we changed focus. I worked with him and did assist him to bring in ex other experts from the outside to help him sell that business. And uh, actually, he did a good job. Um, I quarterbacked it. Uh, we moved that forward. He sold the business for more than we thought was possible. Um, and he invested the proceeds from that in a totally different business. Uh, it's now in real estate. And we remain sort of, uh, I finished coaching with him some time ago. But we still uh, check in now and again and chat about uh, the world and uh, what else is needs putting right. So um, it's not just about improving a business. Sometimes it's helping the individual to, to change tracks and right. um, 
helping individuals to sell their business is one thing that we do uh, that's outside normal coaching. Hmm. So besides being a business coach, I know you serve on a few boards and act as an advisor <coughs> to a few different companies. So just talk about that. Um, well, I talked about uh, being advisor to the board of a, a company called Buckthorn, a UK-based uh, private equity company. You touched on that. Uh, New England Water Innovation Network touched on that. And in a number of the clients were actually interfacing with the board as well as the CEO. Um, um, uh, beyond that, at the moment, I'm not sitting on any boards. I'm focused just on coaching. Excellent. Um, how important is networking? I, you know, I see you at a lot of events. You know, How important is the networking aspect? Um, <clears throat> for any business, whether it's coaching or any of the businesses belonging to our clients, you, you've got to have the, the, your website and you've got to get um, you know, that well up there in terms of um, keywords and people finding you. You've got to use social media. But coaching is also about dealing with people, about um, having the right relationships. So pressing the flesh, meeting people, talking to people is important. Um, I went to a, a chamber uh, event the other day um, and uh, we introduced ourselves it was about a totally different subject and uh, I mentioned I was a coach and afterwards someone came up and said let me I want to talk to you about coaching I've, I've uh, got uh, an issue that uh, needs resolving so a lot of our clientele does actually come through word of mouth uh, and through uh, networking networking is very important was it um, Someone once said, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Uh, so knowing the right people and meeting the right people mm -hmm. is very important. So business is all about partners. So who are the best partners for you? I think I probably touched upon this. And, and let's go back to that uh, um, story I was telling you about the landscaper who, who, who sold his business. When he wanted to sell the business, he has to understand what the value is. That's something I'm not an expert in, but we know people who are, and we will go to them and we'll make a couple of introductions and the client can choose who to take. You need to get the, um, the accounts um, properly um, formatted. Um, sometimes, allegedly, my lawyers say, I've got to say allegedly before certain statements, right. um, some businesses are set up more to save tax than they are to make profit, and that's not a good way to put your company on the market. So maybe we need to bring in an accountant. Now, maybe there's some other issues as well where uh, we need to work on marketing, and we can we, we can do work, work on marketing, but sometimes it's better to bring in uh, an expert on marketing to help in that process. So it's all those other elements that we can bring in, and we have uh, relationships uh, uh, with those advisors uh, and we can present them to a client but the client ultimately makes the choice. What's the best piece of advice you've been given from a business perspective? Actually, um, uh, it was many, many years ago <clears throat> in the UK and I had a boss um, and this um, stays with me. He said, uh, Ashcroft, he said, you've got two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. And that is very sound advice. And uh, sometimes I forget it, but I have to remind myself occasionally. 
So if you could jump in the time machine to the start of your career, what would you tell yourself? When I started my career uh, on that cement factory just outside London, uh, I was a shift manager, and um, I was the youngest guy in the shift. I was probably the least experienced guy in the shift, and I was, quite frankly, scared. And I ran that shift, because I was kind of frightened of it, uh, with a rod of iron, a total command and control approach. And that doesn't get the best out of people. A participative style of management where you work with people, um, you, you involve them, you communicate effectively. Uh, and I did make that transition relatively early in my career from command and control to participative management. Uh, but if I'd known that earlier, I'd have made that transition earlier. Not only would I enjoyed my work more, but I think I'd have been a lot more effective. And last but certainly not least, if people want to find out more about you or professional business coaches, where can they go? Oh, uh, well, you can look at uh, our, our website, uh, Professional Business Coaches uh, Inc., um, or you can call me on 281-216-3714. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.